1: Produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne, and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Amy Middleton. Hey, welcome to Women on the Line. This week we bring you a conversation recorded by Archer Magazine at an event held in Sydney in June 2015. The discussion centres around sexual diversity across generational divides, featuring Teresa Savage, Viv McGregor and myself. Teresa is the founder of 55uppity.com, a documentary website about queer women over 55, and Viv McGregor is a photographer who also heads up the women's sexual health program Claude in Sydney. In my guise as the editor of Archer Magazine, I hosted this event and asked these two women about how their queer identities developed during their lifetimes and what has changed. You can listen to the full audio on archermagazine.com.au, but I hope you enjoy this excerpt. Thanks for joining us. The recording you're about to hear is of In Conversation with Archer, an event held on the 10th of June 2015, recorded at 107 Projects in Redfern. I'm the host and founding editor of Archer magazine, Amy Middleton. Teresa Savage is a long-term feminist and LGBTI activist and the director of 55uppity.com, an online interview and photography project celebrating the older LGBTI woman. According to its website, 55uppity wants to pull apart the clichés about women and ageing, about the diminishing of sexuality and the relaxation of passions, about what older dykes and queers and lesos wear and think and believe. And finally, Viv McGregor is a queer feminist with a working-class background. Viv says for 10 years she was a soft butch lesbian woman and now she's a high-femme queer bisexual and she's still not sure how that happened. Viv is a photographer and has documented the queer scene, worked for feminist cabaret group Lady Sings It Better, and shot portraits for the oral history project 55 Uppity with Teresa Savage. Viv also shoots porn films and stills and works in the sex industry. She has an arts degree majoring in women's studies, a Bachelor of Art Theory, and a PhD in gender and cultural studies. She currently works as Community Engagement Coordinator for the Women's Sexual Health Project Claude at Acon. I began the discussion by asking each of our panellists to introduce themselves and how they identify, beginning with Viv.
0: Is that me? <laughs> what a tiny question. OK. Um, just briefly who I am? Really briefly who I am? Yeah, OK. Um, so I guess listening back to that is always fascinating when you kind of type out something really quickly in a bio and go, you sound so funny and charming, and then you hear it back and go, no, you don't. Um, <laughs> So, um, I guess on a panel about age and sex and sexuality, I should be open about my age, which I actually have no problem being open about. I think it's ridiculous to be closed about it. Um, I'm 32, which, by the way, my ex-girlfriend had to tell me because I forgot. Um, So, I identified for a really long time, for like a decade, as a kind of soft butch lesbian woman, and then gradually a transition occurred. No one's sure how it happened. I may that we ended up as a high femme, and I kind of wrote bisexual, and and then I kind of thought about it after I sent it, obviously, and kind of went, queer is the word for me, absolutely. It is queer. It is... um, And the older definition of queer from early 90s activism, which is anti-normative. I feel like bisexual, for me, doesn't fit entirely. Bisexual often implies that you're equally attracted to men and women, whereas actually I'm not attracted to straight men in any way, shape, or form. So I think... I like queer men and I like all women. So I don't know what word I get for that. Apart from greedy, which I will own. Um, and I, I did a... I was at university for a really long time, which is where I developed the fake accent I have now. Um, Me too. Yeah, I right? so, Theresa and I share a wonderfully working-class background and neither of us sound like it at all now. Nah. nah. It's just a little bit of gay Sydney, a little bit of university. Um, Yeah, that's the accent, right? Yeah. Educated and ashamed. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I think we're going to talk about it later, but that obviously has shaped um, my politics and my sexuality, which I see as intertwined. And now I'm quite happy I was at university for 10 years because I didn't want to be a grown-up at all. And um, I know, right? It's really good. And now I work for... The only place you can get a job with a PhD in gender and cultural studies, I work for Acon. Um, And I work for the Women's Sexual Health Project, which is pretty amazing. I get to promote sexual health for women of any identity in the BDSM and kink scenes. I get to talk to women about safer sex, and I get to talk to women about empowerment, and I get to commission beautiful artworks that celebrate women. So all in all, apart from my still shaky identity politics, which we're working on all the time, I'm quite content. Amy, I don't know what I'm saying. It sounds like a dating profile. (laughs) Okay. And Finn. Yes? Yes. No worries.
1: Theresa, um, <laughs> do you? I mean,
2: it's <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I've probably identif- I have identified as a lesbian feminist for 40 years. Um, and that was a very long time ago. And I, that was when I came out when I was at university um, in England, being. Uh, the only lesbian in the women's group that I joined when I went to university and they had to have a vote about whether they'd allow me to be part of the women's group. Can you imagine that? Even I think back to, oh my God, I can't realise how I lived through that. But anyway, um, they had a vote and luckily they allowed me to join the women's group and about half of the women's group left at that stage. Um, uh, Yeah. Anyway... (laughs) So I've identified as a lesbian feminist since then. Um, for quite some time, I ide- also, if someone asked me, I would identify as a lesbian mother, having had my first child in 1980 in a lesbian relationship, which um, it's hard to describe what a wild ride that was at that time. Uh, quite different to now, I think. Um, and so I used to kind of push the whole lesbian mother thing in people's faces because that was the only way to cope with a lot of the issues that we faced as lesbians with children at that stage and having chosen to have children. Um, uh, I have identified with other kinds of parts of that. I, w- I would have identified as a lesbian writer for quite some time. In Sydney, I was part of the Blue Tongues um, writing, Lesbian Writing Collective back in probably the late 80s, early 90s. So lesbian feminist, lesbian mother, lesbian... There's a theme here. <laughs> uh, that's how I identify.
1: Mm. I want to start by asking you, Trazer, Um You've got a line on 55 Uppity, which is um, your documentary website. Yeah, unfortunately website. I
2: had to interview myself first. <laughs> uh, to prove the concept. Uh, yeah, we couldn't, I couldn't persuade anyone else to do it until I did it myself so I'm the very first subject on my own (laughs) project sorry about that (laughs) (laughs) it's a beautiful website a line I have lifted from it
1: is I had my first sexual relationship with a girl in 1971 when I was 16 I wanted to know what the world looked like for you having that experience Mm. in 1971 Um, you can go into as much or as little detail as you like but obviously it was a different time yeah
2: very different um, and I came from a fairly poor, white, working-class background in England. I was the first child to go to university of anyone I knew, um, not just my own family, but anyone in the whole area that I lived in. So I, um, But it was when I was 16, I was at... Um, it was with the head girl.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, she was also all England Irish dancing champion, <laughs> um, and it kind of happened by accident when we went camping and she got very drunk. How does that drunk. happen
0: by accident? Yeah, kind
2: of by accident. And, uh, that's how
0: it always. She happens. got she got
2: very drunk, and we were in the tent, and she decided to practice her Irish dancing in the tent, and of course someone had to like you know go no 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 you better lie down. That's how it happened. <laughs> and then <laughs> it was absolutely shocking to me, I have to say. It was absolutely... I did not know a single other lesbian. I didn't know a single other gay person. Um, I didn't know what to do with myself. I thought I'd turned into the, like, the worst monster in the world. I had, um, it was very hard to find any support of any kind. Um, yeah. It was very, very difficult and particularly because we had a relationship for quite some time. She was from a big um, Irish Catholic family and her parents found out and then there was all hell to pay. Um, Luckily, my mother is a very interesting and lovely woman and um, she doesn't answer the front door because, you know, it's always the social or the council or something who come to the front door. (laughs) So the parents of this other girl kept coming and knocking on the front door. She never answered. (laughs) (laughs) So so it didn't have, you know, my mother... I don't know. I don't know what she actually thought about it. I've never asked her. I should ask her. She's 87 now. I should ask her when I see her. But, uh, yeah, I was completely lost and completely devastated and I thought I couldn't live, actually, Um, which is why I often feel for young people in the country and so on because I know exactly what that feels like and, in fact, I didn't want to live for quite some time after that and had some hard times. So, um, you know, but... My mother's also very tough, and she is of the sort of, you know, get up and get going, girl, you know. Um, And, uh, in fact, I didn't really talk to her about being a lesbian until many years later, and I went, well, probably three or four years later, I I was at university, and I went home, and I said to her, I've got something to say to you, and she was sitting knitting. And um, i I've got something to say to you. (laughs) You know, it's hard to say it and everything. And I said, (laughs) I just said... I'm a lesbian, and she sort of stopped knitting and put the knitting down. I thought, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> she... she said to me, um, are you hurt in anybody? Oh. <laughs> and I said, no, Mum. And she goes, well, that's all right then, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> that, and, so, and she's always been perfectly fine since then and very accepting of me and totally embraces my children all my children as her grandchildren and yeah it's been fine since then but yeah it was a very hard time and it wasn't until I went to university a couple of years later that I kind of well I had that experience with the women's group and then I found out that if, it, if you actually slept with all the women in the women's group then they all became lesbians laughter <laughs> 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 so that's what happened.
1: Um, Teresa, you've <laughs> you've watched the world change significantly. It's probably you've probably yeah. lived through the most um, significant shift in attitudes to um, lesbian, gay, bisexual issues. Um, can you describe a few of the key shifts that you've witnessed?
2: Um, yeah. So, like, so yeah, I had I came out into whole different kind of world at that stage, I think, I think thinking back on it, I mean it's an incredibly exciting time but also very kind of oppositional because we didn't have you know, you'd know, you find other lesbians, you didn't have those kinds of supports or anything in place so it was like you against the world basically so slug it out um, so I think you know, I had, in my wildest dreams at that time I could never have imagined us, us discussing equal marriage I really, seriously, I think back on it now, I think I could never have imagined that this is where we were going to get to now. Um, I came to Australia with my partner who was Australian and my three children in 1988. Strangely, I arrived on the 21st of January, 1988... Which was five days before a great big huge event. I had no idea what the fuck was going on. But anyway, and I didn't know it before I came, which was weird as well. Anyway, um, that's the bicentennial, young people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> young people. Oh, thank you. You're welcome, baby. Inter-
0: I'm just. I, I was there, but some she interprets
2: won't. for me, <laughs> um, and I think. So then we went through the whole issue of me getting residency here as the same-sex partner of an Australian citizen, which in 1988 was also another trailblazing kind of thing to do. So I everything you did was, if you were prepared to stand up, um, was you were the first people to do it. Um, fairly shortly after that we had a huge fight with um, a private health fund in Australia who refused to give us coverage as a lesbian family and had a huge fight with that and ended up on the front page of the Herald and blah, blah, blah. You know. So there, it was, there were so many things like that, um, I think, just lived through enormous changes. Mm, I, uh, I think the equal marriage issue is a, is a really interesting one, and for me it, it does feel a bit like a generational issue. Um, I, I, most of women my age that I know aren't particularly interested in getting married themselves but are committed around a human right, are committed about it as a rights issue. Um, To me, for me personally, it's not anything I'm particularly interested in. Uh, I think having been set, my mindset at that time, when it was, I'm much more interested in the wild side of things. So we've heard. (laughs) What um, do you think? Irish dancers,
1: watch out. That's, right. <laughs>
0: That's such a specific fetish. Is there an Irish dancer? <laughs> oh, <my God, laughs> there is one. no <laughs> one. What do I think about that issue?
1: Well, yeah, what do you think about normalisation? Normal, normalisation. Normalization and marriage of equality, I guess. It's a controversial one. Um,
0: I think uh, with any process of normalisation and acceptance into mainstream, um, I'm not going to stand up against it. I think a lot of people want that. But for me, it's like, that's fine, look out for the people on the edge. Because every time you normalise something, other people get pushed to the edge. And those are the people we've got to look out for. And for me, that's the definition, that's the heart of queer. And that came out of ACT UP, and that came out of HIV activism. And for me, it's like... If you want to say that... Do you know when some people say that sexuality doesn't matter... You know, when they're like, ah, it doesn't matter. I'm sorry, I'm like, oh God. (laughs) Clearly I disagree with them because I made that funny voice. (laughs) But when people say that sexuality doesn't matter, what they mean is I think they're trying to say that, you know, homophobia is wrong and it shouldn't matter what, who you sleep with. Yeah, we should all be treated equal. But I have a problem with that saying because for me, I'm like, no, it does matter. How can it not matter who you love and who you fuck and who you socialise with and what your politics are like? How can it not matter? And I just think that... I have no problem with the process. I well, Look, I have problems with the process of normalisation, but for me it's like, yes, keep going, keep an eye on the edge all the time. Like, and who that's the of it Yeah, but some,
2: in some ways that can also be a good thing. I'm quite looking forward to being an outlaw again. I know, you'll be
0: so bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and I think that, I don't know, the keeping an eye on the people on the edge and taking care of those who are going to fall out of normalisation always, whether that's trans people, whether that's non-passing trans people, whether that's polyamorous people or people who don't actually want to conform to monogamy and traditional relationships. And I'm not slamming them, but I'm saying that every time we valorize them, we're leaving a lot of people out and they don't get protected by legal rights. Um, and there is actually something wonderfully creative about being left out that um, when I look at... And I think also when we're saying, like, that we're normal now, you are raising history. <clears throat> like, when we say that we're normal... I love that you keep nodding at me. <laughs> Is that the dancer? Yeah. Oh, my God, go for it. She's wonderful. So... <laughs> she's dancing. she agrees with me. Yes. So I think that every time that we say that, you know, it's done, that it's over, that we're normal, I'm like, there are people still here. Like, history doesn't finish because we... Mm. pass this legislation you know for history doesn't it's not over it's like you cannot erase teresa's experience or paul's experience or even my experience by saying that we've like we've got to this point so sexuality doesn't matter i'm like i grew up in a certain age and so did teresa and so did paul and so did like the people that i know and love and their histories don't get erased because we're better now you know, and to say that history is finished, that it's done, doesn't acknowledge that actually there's still the same problems are still here. And I think that the danger in progressive movements towards marriage equality is that we forget all the problems that are still happening. So can I tell a personal sorry? Oh, I already have <laughs> <You> <laughs> <done> that girl. <laughs> can I be personal? Hey. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, <laughs> So, my main uh, relationship in my life up to date has been with a gay man who is 15 years my senior, I think, who is HIV positive and he has been my, I introduce him as my husband, I introduce him as my husband. like he is my, I know, <laughs> he's, <is, laughs> you know, he's my soulmate, we lived together for a decade, we have shared financial <clears throat> ties, we went on holidays together, like this person is my partner in every way, but that one. So... And I spent a great deal of my 20s caring for him when he was ill and seeing him in RPA and hearing him. And I remember, I'm just going to share with you this one moment when he was very ill with HIV and you kind of go that this is something that's in our past and done and we're all right now. And I'm like, it still happens, okay? HIV is not done. And I heard him. He was so, so sick and I thought I was going to lose him. And I was standing outside and he was talking to a social worker and he was so sick and oh my God, she said something bullshit about gay people, and he slammed her. Like, from his deathbed, did he <laughs> rise up and slam this woman and kind of explain to her in a very articulate way and quite respectful, considering that I know who he is and he could be much worse. And he advocated from, for himself from his sickbed. And I just went, I was standing there going, oh my God, who is this man? Like, how can I not love this man forever? And then I went, No, actually, this is my history. Like, a lesbian standing outside the ward of a gay man with HIV listening to him fucking advocate. Mm. Like, I don't want to erase that history because I feel connected to the women in the 80s and 90s who took care of gay men who are our brothers. Like, I feel that connection. And I don't want progressive politics to wipe that out and say we're fine now because I carry that with me every day and I carry him with me every day. Mm. Also, we have a very cute dog
2: together.
1: Thanks for sharing that, Viv. that a bit much? (laughs) No, it was perfect. Um, We were actually talking about this this idea of uh, intergenerational sort of mentor-mentee relationships. Yeah, we're (laughs) witnessing one right here on this stage. Um, I've spoken to a few um, gay men, probably around my age, uh, who have these older gay men in their lives and they learn a lot about, about... probably politics, about identity, about existing in the world and about sex um, from gay men who are 10 or 20 or 30 years older than them. Um, And, Teresa, we were chatting about how that isn't as common in lesbian uh, circles or in bisexual circles. Mm. I
2: think... Uh, Do you have any Mm. idea why that might be? Um, It's really important to me, intergenerational friendships, and I've got lots of friendships with um, particularly with lots of young people, particularly lots of young women, Maeve would say they're mostly her ex-girlfriends, who I hold on to often. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that's probably true. You should
1: tell
2: them who Maeve is. Maeve's my daughter. And my ex-girlfriend. Hi, sweetie. That's why we're friends.
1: <laughs> but we're
2: friends independently. Um, oh, I live in Theresa's backyard now.
0: In a flat. Um,
1: LAUGHTER
2: I, I, it's really, really important to me um, and I find it really enriching to have friendships with people of different ages because it's incredibly... One, I really like being challenged. I really like my ideas being challenged um, and people at different ages see things differently and have grown up with different influences and all of that kind of thing. I, I get a lot of good music from a lot of my young friends, which is great, um, so, and I, I want that to be respectful both ways, and I, th- I think it is. I have some lovely friends who are way, way, way younger than me. Um, I, one of the one of the things I do think I talked about what I thought I thought equal marriage might have been a generational issue. I also think, sort of looking at it the other way, I think there's an issue about trans stuff that's um, I. It's hard for me to say, but I often feel quite ashamed um, and embarrassed about lesbians who I have been friends with or lovers with for, you know, over long, long periods of time who have hideous opinions about trans people. Um, And I find it that really difficult. And I, I... I think it's not a one-off thing. I think it actually was something that came out of kind of lesbian separatism in the 70s and that some people have held on to. Um, But... And people make assumptions, actually. It's quite interesting. Like, often people... Older friends of mine will make comments to me assuming that I agree with that and then I have to have a big argument and whatever and then that's all difficult. But um, I think that that might be one of the things that causes... um, makes it difficult to be, to be friends across the generations. Like a,
0: a mistrust between... Yeah,
2: because um, the friends of my age or older who have a similar view as I do around trans issues also have lots of younger friends. So I kind of see that pattern. Um, so I, I wonder if that's one of the issues. So you think the education
1: goes both ways
2: in intergenerational yeah. relationships?
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Viv, I wanted to ask you particularly about younger queer women um, because Claude, uh, the Women's Sexual Health Project at ACON, for whom you work, uh, put on events with a particular focus on young queer women and their sexuality. Can you talk us through what they look like, how they go, what the attitudes are um, and how that differs from maybe when you were growing up queer?
0: When I was growing up queer in my 20s, yeah? Sure, Um, teens.
1: I mean, are they aimed at? women in their 20s uh
0: the well Acon is an 18 plus resource (laughs) so 18 plus yeah so i think uh it's it's a difficult question anyway because to speak of young women is like well which young women Mm. um and are they just going to be pissed at me for talking for them after this which is very possible and am i a young woman anymore um (laughs) i am me. I, I am, am I? But I think there's, a, uh, there's going to be huge differences between me and an 18-year-old right now and between me and a 24-year-old. I think there's going to be huge differences. Yeah. There's also going to be massive differences between my upbringing and Maeve's upbringing. Sorry, baby, you're just right there. <laughs> Hi, sweetie. She's my age, but we have massive differences. And talking about what women want, I hate to do this to you, but I'm going to fall back on data, okay? So research... <clears throat> Um, there's this amazing research project called the Swash Report. Has anyone heard of this? Whoa. So Sydney, yeah. yep. woo, <laughs> indeed, yes, yeah, Swash baby. Um, so the Sydney Women's Sexual Health Report is this marvelous survey that's done every two years and it's been going for like 20 years. And it's one of the only, like, probably one of the longest-running surveys in the world about lesbian, bi, and queer women, and specifically in Sydney. So what's been interesting about looking through this data over the past kind of 10, 15 years that I'm looking at right now is that <clears throat> the shift in identification is really noticeable. So in terms of people identifying as lesbian, we see massive drops every two years and we see a massive rise in queer identification. Um, <coughs> in terms of the sexual... Because this is a detailed survey and this is why I should read it. In terms of the kind of sex and relationships that LBQ women are having in Sydney, my gosh, we're having all of them. All of them. And we're having all of the sex. Any different kind of sex that you can imagine, LBQ women in Sydney are doing it all, yeah? And that's what's, I mean, marvellous about translating this data to kind of health ministries and stuff like that is a really fascinating process of going, you should just give us money. So, <laughs> really. So I think that that's really fascinating, looking across at this data, and this is like, you know, what I can rely on from people in my community is that they answered honestly, and I hope you did, and I answered reasonably honestly. When I thought about how I entered the data, I'm like, I totally lied about how many sexual partners I've had. Um, LAUGHTER More! So, I think what's interesting about younger women right now, just from that, from that kind of drop in lesbian and up in queer, and the diversity of sexual practice, is that women's sexuality, from this small sample of women in Sydney, is incredibly diverse. And to talk about what young women want, the only thing I can say for certain that young women want in my community is affordable housing.
2: Mm.
0: Mm. that's all I've got <laughs> like otherwise whatever you want that's fine but that's all I know that people actually really want in terms of sexuality and identity it's fucking diverse like we are a magical mixture of very strange creatures
2: there's a, there's another interesting piece of research actually there which I think came out recently wasn't it that lesbians have more orgasms yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Thinking about age by the time you're 80, that's that's a pretty good statistic to have.
0: (laughs) So we're all competing with Teresa.
2: Go! (laughs) Women's on the line. (laughs)
0: Oh, that
2: was. Women on the line. Women on the line. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Thanks very much to our guests during that recorded event, Teresa Savage and Viv McGregor. And if you'd like to uh, listen to the rest of the recording, just log on to archermagazine.com.au. I'm Amy Middleton. Thanks for joining me for another edition of Women on the Line. Women on the Line is Community Radio's national women's current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women at 3CR Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by La Tigra. Women on the Line can be downloaded from our website, womenontheline.org.au or download the podcast at 3cr.org.au slash podcast. I'm Amy Middleton. Tune in next time for another edition of Women on the Line.